0: Hello everyone, and welcome to our show, Let's Talk Mental Health, where we discuss all aspects of mental health and wellness and how it impacts your physical health. We'll share stories and speak with behavioral health experts to normalize conversations around mental health and the need for occasional support. Our goal is to reduce stigma and provide our listeners with the tools and resources you need in order to lead physically and mentally healthy lives. I'm your host, Mary Runoff, and here with me today is Anna Wynn, licensed marriage and family therapist, and also the manager of the Behavioral Health and Ambulatory Behavioral Health Program at Providence St. Joseph Mission Heritage Medical Group in California. Today we're tackling the topic of learning how our emotions are formed and the ways in which our brain creates and responds to those emotions. So let's get started. We're going to welcome Anna back to the show. She's one of our favorites. Well, Anna, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. We love to talk with you. Um, For people who don't know you or haven't heard one of our shows before that you were a guest, tell us a little bit about yourself and your role with Providence.
1: I am so happy to be back. Thank you for having me. I am our Behavioral Health Manager for our Mental Health Institute in California. And I am also currently serving Mission Heritage as a therapist as well. until so I fully transitioned to my program manager role and we work on implementing services for primary care. So we work with primary care physicians on making sure patients get more accessible services sooner rather than later to work on skills and tools or whatever they may need to resolve it and to make sure we address the issue at hand.
0: You do amazing work. We absolutely love you. Um, I love having you on the show. We have so many topics. But today we're talking about how our emotions are formed and the way in which our brain creates and responds to emotion, which I think is fascinating. And I can't believe we're going to try to cram this into 30 minutes, but we're going to do it. And I'm going to let you do the most of the talking since I have a cold and my voice is horrible. But since that's the topic today, talk to me a little bit about basics of emotions. Like, we think of them as something that happens to us, like when it's big, right? Like we're super sad or we're super angry, but emotions are just kind of always there. Let's talk about that. I I absolutely
1: love this topic because I, I think recently, not just recently, in general in society, there is this huge aversion to emotions and people are always trying to run away from their emotions and it's so hard to tolerate. And it's this idea that we need quick fixes. And so when we talk about the emotions and how it's formed in their brain, it's so fascinating to me. And it's been so helpful for so many people to know, because when you know what's going on with your emotions, you don't have to be afraid of it. Because I can tell you when we don't know what's going on, we have these experiences with emotions. We feel like we don't have control. We start to really freak out. We don't know if this is normal. We don't know if it's it's something that is getting out of hand. But when we talk about emotions, how our brain forms it the basics of emotions and what to do with it, it gives our brain basically a frame of reference. It's almost like if you're going to go on a road trip and you know exactly how to get there, you have the directions, you know which freeways you're going to take, you know what time you're going to get there. That's what learning about emotions can really be like. Whereas if you go on a road trip, you have no idea where you're going, you have no idea how you're going to get there, you're going to freak out, you're going to stop, you're going to go. It's completely unstructured, it's completely unplanned. And that's what usually happens when we don't know about emotions. I'll give you an example. You know, when we experience anxiety, when we're at a place in society where we talk about anxiety pretty openly now, but for a long time, we didn't. And for a long time, when you experience anxiety and we didn't know about it, you would get heart palpitations. Your temperature would increase. Your hands would be tingly. You would feel dizzy sometimes. It's hard to breathe. It it, it still is commonly when you have a panic attack mistaken for a heart attack because it feels so uncomfortable. But when we lean into anxiety, when we lean into in our emotions and we identify what it really looks like, all the various stages of it, all the different shades of it, we understand what it looks like, we give ourselves that map. And when we have that map, we know that this is temporary. We know how to cope with it. We know how to write it out. It helps tremendously with the way we manage ourselves
0: speaking of anxiety, when you say a road trip with no plan, I get, as a control issues person, I have like major anxiety But just the thought. I was like, oh my God, who would do that? <laughs> uh, um, I know um, <clears throat> the one thing I think about emotions when we talked about this topic is people tend to put emotions into categories. They're good emotions, right? Or they're bad emotions. You're angry, you're upset, you're happy, you're joyful. Is that actually the case? Like, are emotions categorized by that? Like, should we be bucketing them?
1: It's really dangerous. If we do, it's so common, you know, everyone does it because I think we've come to a place in society where, you know, we don't want to feel anger. We don't want to feel sadness. We don't want to feel anxiety. And so we've, we've kind of categorized it ourselves to be these bad emotions and it's good when we feel happy and joyful. And then what happens is our expectations start to change because then we start to feel like we should be happy and joyful all the time. The reality is each emotion serves us a purpose, I'll give you an example for with anger. Anger is what we call a secondary emotion that occurs second to usually hurt or fear first. You can almost always tie anger back to either, did I feel hurt? Did I feel afraid? And usually when we start to address, and when we understand anger, we start to address it in that way of, what do I do when I feel hurt? What do I do when I feel afraid? How do I give myself more control? it helps with anger. Anger is a really powerful, motivating emotion, and it usually comes out when it's protective. When we feel vulnerable and we don't feel in control, anger will sometimes swoop in and help us feel that temporary sense of control or power. And a lot of times with anger, it's mistaken that it's bad. And a lot of times when people experience anger, they think, oh, I Anger is bad, therefore I am bad for experiencing it. The reality is, is each and every one of us, we have these biological emotions for a reason. They all serve as the purpose. It doesn't mean that they're good or bad. It just means when the smoke alarm is going off, we have to ask ourselves, is there a fire? So when we feel the emotions, when we feel anger, where is the fire? When we feel anxiety, where is the fire? What's really going on for these emotions to be triggered? a lot of times it starts with our thoughts. Our thoughts will be the first thing to trigger these emotions. And in therapy, we use a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy, and it's really from this philosophy. And there's so much research and evidence that backs it up that our thoughts, whatever they may be, will trigger or create these emotions. So if you have a negative thought and a negative thought is an example of I'm a failure and when you have that kind of thought, your brain says, I wonder which emotion would match this thought. And usually it'll go with, you know, sadness or disappointment or sometimes frustration. But when we have the thought of, you know, I did things I'm not proud of and I'm really going to work on what I can do next time. I'm really going to work on how I can change this in the future. We start to feel more hopeful. We start to feel like we're more at peace with it. So it really starts with our thoughts.
0: Well, that's a, it's. It's interesting you say that because the thing that I hear a lot in society is you need to learn to control your emotions, and in my mind, my emotions are kind of instinctive. How do I necessarily control them? So let's let's just dig in on that. Can you control your emotions?
1: You so in in an indirect way, you can, but the idea of can't, you should just calm down that never works with anyone ever, right? So the idea of you should just control your emotions. It's not that easy and it's not that simple because it's such a complex idea that it's not it's really you're trying to turn off the smoke alarm. When there's a fire that's going on, it doesn't fix the problem. So, the idea is it's not necessarily about controlling your emotions, but it's about figuring out what's going on that's triggering the emotions. When you do that, you're able to manage your emotions. You don't want your emotions to go away because if your emotions were to go away and you walk down that dark alley and you don't feel fear or anxiety, you're in trouble.
0: Right, so, our right. emotions
1: all serve as a purpose. You don't want it to go away, you just want it to be. At a place where if there is a fire, the smoke alarm goes off and you just want to make sure that you address what's really driving it. So it's really the idea of speaking the language of emotions, because when you start to figure out what it really wants, it really does help. And it really not necessarily that it goes away, but the needs are met and it doesn't come up in that way again until it has another need.
0: I like that you said managing rather than controlling. I think that that's really smart. I also am going to take this moment as a public service announcement. Never tell a woman to calm down. That's not going to work. It's never going to work. It's just going to <laughs> make things worse. It's like it's like a fire. It's going to get out of control. So whoever's listening, never tell a woman to calm down. Um, it works for I, everyone, I do. Right?
1: Even with kids, what? when you tell a kid oh, yeah, to calm down, true. they don't know how to calm down. But if you yeah. walk someone through, okay, let's take some deep breaths. Let's take a break. If you give them the skills and tools, they learn how to calm down without – being told is very vague. You need to calm down or you need to control your emotions.
0: I like that. I like that. Well, you know, you were talking a little bit about, you know, nobody really wants to be angry, that sort of thing. I think there's a, a fear or a philosophy right now that if you have bad thoughts, you're going to become depressed. Or if you continuously have bad thoughts, you're going to get anxiety, all these like horrible disorders because of the way you're thinking. How do you, if somebody came to you and said that, what would you say to them?
1: I would say, you know, if we understand thoughts a little more, you're not responsible for the first thought you have, because if we really think about it, our brain creates all of these thoughts, sometimes at a rapid pace, and we can never control the first thought that we have. A lot of times it's our job to figure out what we want to do with it. So you have the thoughts that pop up and it's your job to figure out, do I want to dig into this and do I want to agree with it or do I want to start to change it and maybe reframe it to something else? The first thought that comes up in your mind, we have no control of. What you do with it is the one, the part that really matters. If you have that negative thought, I'm a failure or I can't do anything right, it could just pop up. But now it's your choice to figure out, you know, is that really true? Am I really a failure 100% or have I had successes in my life? And there's a difference between feeling something and thinking something and the idea is that feelings are not facts just because we feel something doesn't mean it's 100 percent the evident true fact that we're looking at I can feel stupid but that doesn't mean I'm stupid
0: that's interesting because I was going to ask you kind of the difference between your mood and your emotion and I, I kind of I think that's a nice transition So your
1: your mood is this prolonged, sustained state that you're in where you're feeling the emotions for a long time. The emotion itself is what we use to identify what you're feeling. I'll give you an example. So a lot of times when we feel sad, we can often feel it in an isolated instant. We can feel it situationally. So when a situation happens, we feel sad and the situation um, resolves itself and then we will start to feel better. Or when it comes to our mood, How long is it lasting? So if you're feeling sad for more than two weeks, it could dip into depression. So that starts to become your mood.
0: Gosh, emotions are such a complicated topic.
1: (laughs) I know it's so fascinating, but the more we know, the more we have that roadmap.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I just find myself wondering like, um, how do I determine if my mood is impacting someone else's mood or if my emotions are impacting others? Cause especially when you were talking about children, we have to teach them how to handle things. Can, can we be impacting other people and maybe not even be aware of it?
1: 100%. Is it, it's, it's really tough because it goes back to control again is the question really is, can we really control someone else's mood? So if we have our mood and we are impacting someone else, which is something that is going to happen It's something that we can't escape because we're all interconnected. You know, we create this ripple effect that when we feel sad, those around us will notice and they will be concerned. That just means that they care about us. That doesn't mean that it's bad. It just means that when it's something that you're trying to impact, let's say a child, where you want to also introduce, you know, I feel sad and that's okay. This is what I'm going to do to feel better. And you introduce direction, which is the most important thing, because the idea is if you shelter someone from when you feel sad, when you feel upset from your emotions, you start to put a mask on. And when you get comfortable with having that mask on, it gets really concerning because when you avoid your emotions, they will go somewhere else. They will come out sideways. You want to have this idea that emotions are normal. It's okay if we feel it it won't stay forever and we can do something in the meantime to help us feel better. We could do some deep breathing to help us feel better. We could talk about it that can help us feel better. So we want to lean into it instead of avoid it.
0: What about the flip side of that, of can I use my emotions or my mood to make somebody feel better, right? Somebody who's maybe feeling bad. Can I use my emotions or can I impact them based on my emotions and my mood?
1: It definitely can go both ways. It definitely can. And and I would say the bridge to that would really be empathy, because if someone's not feeling well and you come about it 100 percent happy, it's going to be a clash. But regardless of how that person feels, regardless of how you feel, if you're able to bridge that gap with empathy, you know, if you're able to understand, I feel happy right now, but I understand my family member isn't feeling so good. So I empathize. I'm there to support. I don't have to take on their sadness. So you don't want to you don't want to be so enmeshed that your emotions are blending. You want to be able to know that I feel my way and that's okay. They're not feeling well and I'm here to support them. I don't have to take it on, but I'm here to give them whatever that they need from me.
0: Well, I think you've kind of touched on pieces of it, but we haven't really called it that, but I know that there's a thought around emotions called reframing. Let's talk about what that means
1: reframing is so fascinating. Is in cognitive behavioral therapy. It's really the idea that we use a lot of evidence to try to use facts to challenge these emotional thoughts that we have. So I'll give you an example again, the idea of I'm a failure. So when we start to reframe, we start to tap into the evidence. Is there any evidence that I'm a failure? Is there any evidence that I'm 100% a failure? Is there any evidence that I've tried things and I failed 100% of the time and I've never succeeded in my life. So we start to look for evidence and we try to look for evidence to challenge it, to have these healthier thoughts. We want to basically punch holes in the logic of our emotional thoughts and to know that your emotions and your logical thoughts need to find a balance. So you can't be 100% emotional. You wanna find a balance between also the logic of knowing, maybe in this situation, I really think I could have done better. In this situation, let's say I even use the word "I failed." Let's say in this situation I failed. It doesn't mean that I, as a person, am a failure. It means that I, in this situation, failed. I have had other successes, and I'm going to use it to do something better with it later. So that's an example of reframing the thought.
0: I like that. I like that. You know, um, I'm gonna. You know me, right? I always throw in a personal thing. I have a friend who um, I would say has depression. But when I talk to her about it, she says to me, and I love this because it makes me think, and I'm going to ask you like free therapy session. She says, look, Mary, I need to feel sad so that I can feel happy at the end. So it's okay for me to feel sad. Explain that to me, Anna, explain it to me.
1: That's perfectly okay. It's better to feel sad to let yourself feel it because you will write out the emotions. You will go through the process you need to, as opposed to the unhealthy way of doing it is I don't want to feel sad. I'm going to shove it away. Any thought I have of it, I'm not going to think about it. Then it comes out sideways. That's when it comes out through food, alcohol. It comes out through behaviors we don't want it to. If we have this process where I just I feel sad right now, I'm going to let myself feel sad, and that's okay. And with due time, it will get better. And did you know that emotions really only last 20 minutes if we write it out and we focus on just processing it and letting it go unless we're triggering it again. So if you find yourself, if it's lasting for hours at a time, it's because at some point you're thinking about the situation that's upsetting you and it's triggering it all over again. But if you're upset, Uh, you give it 20 minutes, do some deep breathing. Let yourself work through it. 20 minutes, it will get better. doesn't mean it goes away. It means it's going to get better.
0: That explains a lot about grief. Because I find myself like when you, you lose somebody, you have this horrible emotional, you know, Breakdown, and then you're fine. And then you think about it again and you're not fine. And then you're fine. Right? Like I see where you're going with that. I yeah, think flexibles. maybe Anna, you you might've just diagnosed me. I think you just explained my whole life to me, right? Like I refuse to admit that I'm angry or sad or depressed and then I eat. So I see where you're going. I should maybe yeah, just write it, it out for 20 sometimes. minutes. <laughs> but the,
1: the hardest part, and that's why it's so helpful to have a therapist, is they will walk alongside you to process these things because we, we use other things. We use food. We use alcohol. We use drugs. We use those things because it's this instant gratification to cap on what we're really feeling that we're afraid of processing. And it's one of those things where it's so scary to process it alone. So if you can have someone alongside you to process it, it's one of the best things in the world.
0: That's a really good question too, is like, how do we know when we need a therapist? Like I I know everybody, I personally think everybody should have a therapist because it's like, everybody should have a best friend, but how do you know when it's past the point of maybe I can't handle this on my own, or maybe I I should handle this on my own?
1: I always say when we feel like, like when you've given it a try to try to manage it on your own and you feel like it's just not working anymore, you know, it's really the idea of you have, well, as we're talking about the road trip Let's talk about the car. You know, your car is not starting anymore. Your car is not going anymore. You're feeling really stuck. If you start to feel stuck in your emotions and you don't know a way out, you don't have a light at the end of the tunnel. And so the idea is when you start to feel really stuck, when you feel like you've given it your try and you don't know what to do next, it's a good time to really think about maybe I should see if there is someone that can see a different perspective. I always think about sometimes it's like we're stuck in a hedge maze maze, and then all we see is the maze. If we're deep in the maze, we can't see a direction. But when you have a therapist, it's someone who is standing above the ground, so a, on a hill, who can see the maze from a different perspective, who can guide you along the maze. Whereas if you're in the maze, you can't see it very clearly.
0: How do we as people then seek that out? Because I think I'm not even sure what I would say. Like like if I'm an alcoholic, I know. I'm going to say, "Hey, I'm an alcoholic." If I'm an anorexic, I probably know. If I have emotional control issues, what do I say? Like, I pick up the phone and I call, who do I go to? Like, how how do I even start that process?
1: You don't even really need to say exactly what's going on. The therapist will help guide you too. You just need to pick up the phone and find someone and they will ask you questions. They will guide you. And all you need to just acknowledge for yourself is I need help. Once you can say I need help and you pick up the phone and you call someone, that person will guide you through it. That person will ask questions about, you know, how are you feeling? What's been going on? And they'll ask you these prompting questions that will help you piece together what's been happening leading up to this that's their job your job is just to look within yourself and if you cannot manage it by yourself anymore it's a good thing to ask you know maybe i should get some help
0: i think the biggest thing well there's an access issue which is a whole nother issue right like we can talk about there's not enough therapists there's not enough i mean insurance doesn't cover there's a whole access issue but I think the biggest thing that I hear from people is more of a shame, right? Like I don't, I don't need a therapist. I'm, I'm in control. I'm an adult. How do we start to change that, Anna? What do we do as a society to get us to a point where people will actually seek help for things like this?
1: Oh, Mary, you're so right. And there's such a huge stigma. That's why I, was, I love this topic so much about talking about emotions and normalizing it and knowing that every single person and animals experience emotions as well. And every single person on earth experiences emotions, we suppress it. If you really think about animals, when they feel pain, you know that they're in pain because they outwardly express it. And we as humans, we've we've come to learn somehow, maladaptively, that we should suppress it, we shouldn't feel it. The more we understand emotions that every single person, biologically, it's within us, we're supposed to feel it. You're supposed to feel anger. You're supposed to feel sad. You're supposed to feel happy. You're supposed to feel joy. When we accept that we're supposed to feel it, we accept that there are people who can help us walk through managing it. Just like if you can accept that if you have diabetes, then you accept that there are people who can help you and that insulin can be a solution.
0: I always find that so horrible that if you have cancer, everybody rallies around you and they want to support you and you can tell people you have cancer and there's no embarrassment. But if you have depression or anxiety, you don't want to tell people, nobody rallies around you. I think we're getting better as a society. I really do. Um, You know, you said said about animals and you know, I run an animal rescue. If you don't believe animals have emotions, get a horse because, I have one horse that like, you can tell when she's mad. You can tell when she's hungry. You can tell when she's bored. You can tell when she thinks she's being funny, right? Like she, like she has all of the emotions, but she actually recently went, like she was losing weight and I finally figured out she was depressed because I had rehomed another horse that was her best friend. And Mm. I think we, those are the things though, we as people need to look at our friends and say, why are you acting this way? Why do you seem sad? Why, why are you no longer telling jokes? Right? So all of that to say Anna. How do we start encouraging our friends to seek out that help, right? Like we know that we can remove stigma, but one-to-one, how do I encourage somebody to go get help? It starts, I
1: I would tell you, it starts with us. If we are comfortable with talking about our emotions, it creates this ripple effect and people around us start to feel comfortable talking about their emotions. And then the people around them start to feel comfortable talking about their emotions. And it all starts with us because if you're not comfortable talking about your emotions, you know, it might not be very comfortable for you to talk about emotions in general. You might want to talk, you might not want to talk about your friend's emotions. You might be concerned that you're not getting to maybe what's really going on. So it starts with, we have to get comfortable with talking about our emotions, accepting our emotions. And when we see it in a friend or a family member, we have to feel comfortable also talking about it with them too. The more we talk about with ours, the more they will, there's this ripple effect. They will start to talk about it too. Or if it's not, something that's an immediate effect over time, it's always in the back of their mind that uh, this person talks about their emotions and maybe that's okay. So it really plants seeds that we're always here. We can support our loved ones and we can do whatever it is to help them get help. But we also need to extend that to ourselves as well. I think it's one of those things we wanna make sure we are taking care of everyone, ourselves and everyone that's included.
0: Is it okay to challenge someone, Anna? them and give you an example. Like I think when we see people who have like, bursts of anger, we're happy to talk to them about it. Or when we see people who are sad all the time, we're happy to talk to them. But I see people who are happy all the time. And I've I've gone out on a limb sometimes and said, I don't believe you're happy all the time. There's got to be something going on. Like do you have anybody to talk to? Like I'm one of those people, like I I'll rarely tell you that there's something wrong because I'm going to handle it. Right. Can we challenge people? Like is it a bad to say to somebody, is there anything going on you want to talk about? <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, that's great. I will tell you, you're so right, because no one is 100% happy all the time. And if they are, there's a mask. Because you're human, you feel sad, you feel angry, you feel disappointed, you feel afraid, you feel all of the emotions. And if you are appearing as happy all the time, I think there's always a good question of, you know, how are you really doing? what's really going on? Are you are you really okay? And it's always important because it also sends the message that I see you beyond your mask. I see that you put on this mask to be happy. And I can't tell you how many people I've talked to where they say, I've had to put on a mask. I've had to, I wanted to be strong for my family. But we have to shift that focus to look at maybe being strong for our family means talking about the emotions, not appearing happy or put together all the time. Because when we talk about the emotions to say, I feel really broken. I feel really sad. You are also setting the example of it's okay to feel this way and we have ways to work through that instead of avoiding it, instead of putting a mask on. Being strong means talking about it. Being strong means that you're brave enough to lean into the emotions when it's uncomfortable to address it. I think escaping it is often the easy route because it just means that we're avoiding the emotions, but when we lean into it, I think it's more brave to do that.
0: Uh, I like that. I know you and I've had separate conversations about like BIPOC mental health and we've had conversations, you know, about culture, but when we talk about being brave and we talk about not talking about our emotions, a lot of times my head gravitates toward the elderly who grew up in that genre of just pull up your pants. Right. And, you know, some of those cultures where we don't talk about it, like how do we as society or how do we as just individual people encourage our loved ones to to I don't know, to open up if they are, say, of that kind of belief that that's not the right thing to do? What's a good way to 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 open them up?
1: I would say a big part of it too, you dive right into action. I think sometimes we can be all talk where we're like, you know, it's okay to talk about emotions and I want you to feel comfortable talking about it. And that's important too. But sometimes if you are noticing that's all you're doing and you're not getting any of the content, then it could be a way to also avoid your emotions. So a good way to kind of dive into it is really starting to talk about the emotions. How are you feeling? What's going on? How was your day? Did you have a tough week at all? You know, that must have been so hard to not be able to to do that thing that you wanted to do. That must have been so frustrating to have that interaction with that person. So a great way to start doing it is you just dive right into it. You start talking about the actual emotions itself. And that sometimes will create a conversation where you're not trying to actively talk about it, but you're already talking about it. So you're doing it.
0: You know, I think you know, one of the things too, that's a little bit of a stumbling block for people to get there is okay, maybe I think it's okay to have a therapist. And maybe I figured out how to find a therapist. I think there's a fear of what happens that first time I go into their office. Can you talk to me a little bit about what you might do for like an introductory visit for someone?
1: Yeah, the, what a great question. I Every single person always feels really nervous. I can tell you 100%. It's so normal. Because the idea is, you know, you're, you're going in and you're talking to a stranger and you're talking about things that you're used to avoiding. You're talking about things that you're used to suppressing. So it gets a little uncomfortable. I would always say, if you feel nervous, if you feel uncomfortable, let your therapist know, because they will—they will always try to go at your own pace. They will never try to to push you so far that you feel an aversion to therapy. always try to meet you where you're at. But in order for us to meet you where you're at, we have to know. I always say, you know, they didn't teach us mind reading skills in grad school. So we have to know where you're at. So if you feel afraid, if you feel nervous, if you feel frustrated, please feel free. Talk to us. Talk to your therapist. Let them know where you're at. They will meet you where you're at. They will guide you. And that's their job. Your job is just to say, I need help and to show up. Their job is to ask you more questions. And usually, in an introductory one, they'll see where you're at. They'll ask you questions. They will start to ask more about background information, you know, what led up to the visit here, just to get an idea of what's all going on. So, it could be if you're nervous about it, let them know they'll go at your pace.
0: So I always I always tell people, you know, give it a shot. Go go have your visit, go have a second or third visit. But let's be honest, what happens if after like your third or fourth visit you just really don't feel like you're connecting with your therapist or you don't feel comfortable or you're still in that weird situation. Is it okay to find a new one? Is it okay to tell the therapist? I don't really feel like this is a good thing.
1: Yeah, it, 100%. It's okay. You know, Give it three tries. And if you really are not connecting with your therapist, find someone else. Because therapy is not going to be helpful if you're not connected to your therapist. If you don't feel like your therapist cares about you, this is beside the point. You want to make sure that you are going to be connected with your therapist. You want to make sure that you are going to learn from your therapist, you want to make sure that you're going to get better. So if you've tried a couple sessions, and you feel like this is just not a good fit, and sometimes through no fault of our own or them, it just means that sometimes we come across people in our lives that are just not a good fit. And this could just be one of it. But I 100% encourage you, be picky, find a therapist that you're connecting with, find someone who's skillful, find someone who you really feel like cares about you. And that's when you can start to do a lot of the work.
0: I mean, I think it's true, right? We we have people we meet in our lives all the time that after a few times, we're like, yeah, I don't want to hang out with you anymore. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, this is going to sound so weird, but is it okay for a therapist to tell you I don't think it's the right fit?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Because as a, as a therapist,
1: I can tell you, I only want what's best for you. I'm here to serve you. And if for some reason it's not a good fit or there are some things that are getting in the way, you know. I'll always be honest with you and I hope that you'll be honest with me. So it's perfectly okay too. I never want to waste anyone's time, anyone's insurance. So if there's even a shot that you could benefit with another therapist, I'm going to let you know because I want you to get there sooner.
0: I love it. Well, this has been a really awesome conversation just about emotions and controlling emotions. I always like to end the conversation though with what did I miss or what is the the one takeaway you would want people to leave this episode with?
1: The only thing I, the, the main thing just that, I can't begin to tell you just how normal our emotions are. That if we stop running away from our emotions and we lean into our emotions, you'll see that a lot of it could be the core of what's been driving some of our other behaviors. But if we can lean into it, if we can normalize it, we know that emotions are uncomfortable. If we can anticipate that they're uncomfortable and we're going to try to process it, it's it's so much more beneficial than avoiding it. And it's going to come out sideways. Usually when we avoid it, it creates a bigger mess. And then we start to lose more control. And when we lose more control, we start to freak out even more. But when we lean into our emotions and we figure out a way to talk about it, to process it, once our emotions, once they get what they need, they will settle down until the next alarm needs to go off and they will. But once you find out where the fire is and you address it, the smoke alarm will go off.
0: As always, Anna, you are amazing. Uh, I have to, before I forget, I'm supposed to point people to um, providence.org slash wellness resources, which will give you free access to everything you could possibly need when it comes to your wellness resources, as well as help you find um, a therapist or behavioral health specialist if you need one. Well, thank you, Anna, for joining us today on Let's Talk Mental Health. We look forward to continuing the important conversation on mental health and wellness with more experts from Providence in our future episodes. Make sure to listen to all of our shows on Dash Radio under the Future of Health radio station or on your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on social media. We can be found on Twitter and Facebook at Providence and on Instagram under Providence Health Systems. To learn more about our mission programs and services, visit providence.org. And please remember, the information provided during this program is for educational purposes only. You should always consult a healthcare provider if you have any questions regarding a medical condition or treatment. Thanks for listening. And remember... At Providence, we see the life in you.